Well, again, good morning, everyone. Uh, we're so excited to have our guest speaker here today with us. Uh, Carlos is from Bogota, Colombia. His, his wife, Emily, with us and his four children. We're so glad that you guys are here with us. Carlos, just a little bit of background for Carlos. He worked at Grace College, uh, and he was there for nine years. He worked first in the area of director of global initiatives and then became the dean of, of the chapel. Uh, he has his degree in the Ph. studies of intercultural studies from Trinity International University. And in, in just in the recent months, uh, Carlos and his family just moved to Minnesota, where he will be an assistant professor of intercultural studies at the University of Northwestern at the St. Paul campus. Just a little bit of background for he and I. We just got to know each other this past year. We're working together for racial reconciliation. We just started a new group with Pastor Irv Clark and also with James. James, are you there? Just raise your hand up real quick. James Schaefer, we're, we're the four amigos. We're working together trying to get some initiative out, awareness, and hopefully help our pastors to work together with diversity and unity. So this encouraged me to, to ask Carlos to come along. So Carlos, why don't you come up and let's welcome Carlos to our church. Appreciate you, brother. Got a hug, the Italian. Pastor, it's, it's, a, it's a requirement. By the way, um, if any of you watched the <clears throat> Euro 2020, anyone watch the Euro? Um, me and my family... We watched the final game, and it was uh, Italy versus England, and we were cheering for Italy. Uh, I'm the only one That's right. Spoiler alert, Italy won. Because <laughs> it doesn't seem like um, many people are into this. Hey, um, <laughs> what a crazy last 16 months, right? crazy. Um, we are having conversations about things that we never thought we would. Um, things happened in the last 16 months that we never thought we would, we saw things we never thought we would see, empty stadiums. Um, and it's really interesting for me, I've thought of, of a lot about COVID and just the pandemic in general. And um, I, I have this mental picture of a dock and water and COVID was like a drought or something that just took all the water out. And whatever was under that dock, it just showed up, right? If, if there was trash, I mean, imagine if you see a dock and it's like, oh, this is beautiful. But then you drain out the water and you see all the trash. You see, I think that's what COVID did. It all of a sudden took away the distractions, took away for a lot of people, took away jobs, took away all these things, and then we are coming face to face with the reality of the junk that was already there. And that's been pretty sobering. It's been sobering for me. And it's not, it's not just uh, in an individual level, but we've also seen it collectively, right? All these divisions that we've seen, uh, divisions along uh, political lines, divisions along racial lines, divisions along economic lines, and we, it just exacerbate all, exacerbates all those divisions. And, and by the way, it is not just in the United States. I, ha, I've, I have a chance, my family lives out in Silver Spring, um, my Colombian family, and we were talking 
about, um, <clears throat> about this, some of these same things. And, and one of my aunts said um, yesterday after we talked for you know, several hours, she said, I just can't believe how divided we are in Colombia. And so this is not just a, it's not an individual thing. It's not a U.S. thing. It's a worldwide phenomenon that the pandemic has exposed the junk that was already there. It exposed the divisions that were already there. And then we're all kind of grappling with this, saying, what do we do about it? Because these divisions go so, so deep. And I feel like, I don't know about you, but I feel like they keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper. The more, and I'm like, what? And so so I want to ask you, what, what have been the most troubling divisions for you? As you think about your community, what have been the most troubling things that you have sensed in your own community that have troubled your heart the most? Um, yeah, I, I, again, I just look at your Facebook feed sometimes, or look at Twitter, and people are just all over the place, just divided. And then I ask, so what does Jesus want in all that? Like, how does Jesus speak into that? So hopefully we're going to talk a little bit about that today. We're doing this series called Imago Day, and we're talking about, Pastor Bruno talked about how, uh, you know, every person is, is, is made in the image of God and worthy of respect, dignity, honor, and we honor people because of that, but we're kind of going in this direction of, of more of a collective look at this um, issue of, of the image of God. So we're going to camp out in Ephesians chapter 2, verses, um, verses 14 through 18, so if you have your Bibles or, or your phone... Um, as probably most of you. How many of you actually have a Bible? Oh, you're so good. I mean, if you have a phone, you're good too. You're just <laughs> different, different level of good. But um, I actually, usually, when I go to church, I actually just take my phone, just honestly. Um, Ephesians chapter 2. And Ephesians is a fascinating book, right? Ephesians, uh, the first three chapters are kind of a theological treatise, and then the first, the second uh, set of three chapters, or four, chapters four through six, are more of a, like the practical outworking of that. And um, I always think of, like, if I ever wanted to share the gospel with someone, I go to Ephesians chapter two, verses one through nine, where it talks about how people were once lost, and then verse four, but God comes into the picture and his love, and then verses eight and nine, it says, by faith you have been saved through faith, but by grace you have been saved through faith. And then verse 10 talks about, uh, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for, for us to do. And then, I love, I love how this, there's like a cliffhanger there. And what is the first thing that Paul talks about after talking about the work that God has put for us to do? Unity. That is the first thing that Paul goes to. So we're going to look at um, Ephesians chapter 4. Sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. And um, I'm just going to go ahead and actually read it. Uh, and we'll, we'll read it together, and it's up on the screen. So verse 14. For he, Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So I just want to point out a couple things first. Uh, We're going to go back to verse uh, 14. 
And let me, let me point out, if you, if you have your Bible, let me, let me point something out here. Um, by the way, um, I want you all to say y'all. Everyone say y'all. I, I can't, you have to say it a little bit. Like, you have to get a little drawl on there. Like, I, by the way, I, I can't do the drawl very well, but everyone, come on, y'all. And if you want to do like a hyper plural in the South, they go like, all of y'all, you know? Right? Okay, the reason I'm asking, I'm not just doing it for my entertainment purposes. Um, actually, the reason we do that is because English, just standard English, the wind, it doesn't do a very good job of conveying, of conveying how the letter of Ephesians, or most of the New Testament, was written. Most of the, letter, most of the New Testament was written to y'all, not to you personally, right? It was written to y'all. And so it's very important for when you're reading the Bible to say, hey, when it says you, is it me or is it we? It's typically, like most of the time, it's we. It's, it's, it's a group of people. In the letter of Ephesians, all of it, you can say y'all. For all, every time it says you, it's y'all, okay? That's very important because if you notice, um, it says, uh, verse 11, therefore, remember that at one time, y'all Gentiles, y'all, right? And why is that important? Because if you go to verse 13, it says, but now in Christ, help me out here, but now in Christ, y'all who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then, look at what Paul does. For he himself, and this, what, what does he say? He himself is our peace. So there's this little switch that Paul does, and he's, he was giving them the bad news, kind of like Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, gives the bad news of what, what we were. Verses 11 and 12 kind of gives the bad news of who we were, but then it says the good news, and he includes himself. And he's like, it's us. It is not anymore an us-them thing. It's a new us, and that's very important. And then he talks about Christ is our peace, right? And it's really interesting when you think about the idea of, of Christ is our peace. That, that statement, that phrase, Christ is our peace, could almost be like a title for this whole, for this whole section because um, he talks about peace quite a bit. And the idea of peace comes from the Old Testament. You might re recall that word um, when Jews say hi to each other, they say shalom, right? Shalom is like, and it's, it's, that's where the idea of peace, this is an old idea of, of peace and if you remember when, when Adam and Eve sinned, all relationships were broken, relationship to God, relationship to each other, relationship to themselves, relationship to the, the environment. All relationships were broken. And this idea of shalom is like a restoring of all this relationship. It's, it's, it's about wholeness, right, of individuals to everything around them. But when it comes to society, when it comes to each other, that idea of shalom is captured in the word harmony. Harmony. And, and, and that's what he's saying. Christ, but, but look, in, in, in other places, he says, the peace of Christ will rule in your hearts. Christ will give you peace. But here, what does it say? Christ himself is your peace. It's not that he's giving you something. It's that he's walking in your midst, and he's setting himself there, and he is the one who personifies this peace. And he's walking in, and he is our peace. It says he is our peace. And it says, made the two groups one. Well, what two groups are, is it talking about? It's talking about Jew, Jews and Gentiles. Those are the two groups that were kind of, from a Jewish perspective, by the way, uh, the word ethne, where, where we get the word ethnic from, is a Greek term. And Jews, and, and it's actually made up of two words, eth and ne. Eth being people and ne being not. So ethnic groups were saying, 
ethne, not the people, because who were the people? We were the people. So it's like ethne is anyone who is not us, right? That's, that's just kind of an interesting point. And he's saying, made the two groups one, and he's talking about Jews and Gentiles, and he's saying that, that division, he, he actually, in the, in the next part it says, destroyed the barrier of that division between Jews and Gentiles. Well, what barrier is he talking about? In the Jerusalem temple, if you recall, the Jerusalem temple had um, a section that was called the section for the Gentiles, the Gentile court. And then there was a wall with a, an inscription in Latin and Greek, just so that no one would miss it, that says, if you, if you cross past this point, you could die. And then it was the area of the Jews. So when it's talking about that Jesus came and destroyed this, this, that, that destroyed this barrier, it's talking about that temple barrier, that temple barrier between the Gentiles and the Jews. And, 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 and Paul is saying, Christ came to destroy that barrier, to destroy it. It's almost like it represents like this fault line, right? So here's how I would say this. Christ personifies the peace for our unity. We're, he's not just giving us peace. He's walking in the midst of us, and he is our peace. Where Christ is, peace is. That's why he's called the Prince of Peace, right? He is the Prince of Peace, and so he's the one bringing. So, so as you think about this, let me, let me kind of put a, a picture um, of, of what this might look like. Um, this is the, the Temple of Apollos in the city of Delphi. Well, this is, this is a picture of it. I mean, a drawing of it. This is not the actual one. Um, and um, this is one of the famous temples that was actually, uh, the Greeks used to do something that's quite interesting, is that they would build, um, they would build temples, especially religious temples, on earthquake fault lines. So they would find the earthquake fault line, and they would say, here's the one side of the fault line, here's the other side of the fault line, here's the fault line, we're going to build a temple on top of it. Terrible idea, Right? Terrible idea, because, you know, if there's an earthquake and the tectonic plates start moving, then it's going to destroy the temple, which had happened with many temples. But that's what the Greeks used to do, because they felt or they thought that those places were sacred, and they thought that in, build, in, in building something, they wanted to build it in a sacred place, which is, again, terrible idea, but a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture, because I actually think that that's exactly where the church should be. The church, meaning not the building, because don't build a building. If you, by the way, if anyone's going to build a building, don't build it on a fault line, okay? Pick a side, okay? But, but, if we're talking about a community of people, find the fault lines, and that's where the church should be. Here's what I mean. COVID has revealed all these divisions. We have drawn lines. Everyone has drawn lines. There's the political lines, there's the racial lines, there's the economic lines, and everyone has drawn lines. Well, I think that we need to assess those lines. Every community, by the way, every community has some kind of diversity, some kind of fault line within it. It may not be racial. I, I've, I've heard people say, well, my community is very homogenous white, or my community is very homogenous black. But every community, actually, every community has fault lines within it, right? It might be those the people on those side of the tracks and this side of the tracks. It could be, you know, the people who went to that school versus the people who went to that school. 
I'm, I'm from Colombia, Bogota, and the divisions for us were, were uh, socioeconomic. And it was like we, we actually had the city divided up into six strata. And it was one, two, three, four, five, six. And it was like, you know, a game back in, like you just went up the, the ranks. And so the first thing is we need to assess where are the divides in our community. And then we need to cross the line. Find the line and then cross the line. Because I think what Jesus is calling us to hear, what Paul is calling us to hear, is that the, the, the deepest, the power of the gospel can most powerfully be experienced across the deepest divides of society. The power of the gospel can most powerfully be experienced across the deepest divides of society. So find the deepest divides of society, and that's where the church should be planted. It is crossing those boundaries, crossing those lines that we see the power of the gospel. It's for people who could not get along before who are now getting along, and we see them getting along. That shows the power of the gospel because when enemies love each other, something is up. Something is up. Well, someone is up. Let's, um, so assess the lines being drawn and cross the line. And we've been talking about this. We talk, it's called Imago Day, but it's cross the line. Make sure you cross the line. Let's look at verse, um, verse 15. It says, by abolishing. So Christ tore the wall by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. What does that mean? The wall that divided Gentiles and Jews was actually put in place because there were laws in the Old Testament that divided Jews and Gentiles, right? That's why they put a wall. And it's saying that Christ, through his death, he didn't just tear the physical wall, but he tore a religious wall in saying, now it's not just Jews who have access to the Father. It's not just Jews who have access to God. It is everybody. And so in his body, through his death, he tore the wall that separated Gentiles from Jews. And he's saying now, everyone can come and see this. Now, this is very important. If, if, if you trust in Jesus as your Savior, that, that's amazing. That's, that's, that's beautiful. Jesus died for your sins. And now, if you, if you trust in him, you have a relationship. That's, that's very important. On an individual level, every person can come and follow Jesus. That's great. But that's not what this is talking about, okay? That's very good, but that's not what this is talking about. And, and it's talking about the fact that the same death on the cross, same death and resurrection on the cross, that gives me my right standing with God, now gives you and me a right standing with each other. Because Christ did not just demolish the barrier between us and God, but he brought down the barrier between you and me. So now, now, it's, now we have this relationship, and Christ paid for that relationship through his own death. I, I, I love the idea of, you know, my, my sin, or oh, the bliss of this wonderful thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. That's great. I love that song. But that same enthusiasm that it should bring each of us, that my relationship with God is now secured because of the blood of Jesus, should also lead us to look at one another and say, my relationship with, with you is secured because of the blood of Jesus. It's the same blood that gave me peace with God that gives me peace with you. The same blood. Let me, let me, let me, put, it, let me put it this way. Christ paid the price 
for our unity. He paid the price with his blood. He, just like he paid for your salvation, he paid the price for our unity. Um, when my wife and I got married, we, we moved around, we moved to several places, but we came back to the States and we bought a Chevy Lumina for $500. It was a little beat up. Okay. One of the greatest car in the world. And then we had a child. Sarah was born. And we drove that car to Maryland. We were living in Indiana at the time. We drove that car to Maryland. And my dad saw that car. And he was like, my daughter is not riding in that car anymore. <laughs> and he gave us a beautiful Passat. I, I love that car. And he just gave it to us. My dad's a super generous person. I, and so, isn't that awesome to have like, generous people in your life who, who pay for things and then they give it to you? But now, if you know anything about cars, you know that when you get a car, you know that, that it doesn't like, take care of itself, right? <laughs> you have to, like, so my dad gave it to me. I'm like, yay, that's awesome. But you have to go register it, which costs money. You have to maintain it which costs money. You have, to, you have to do all these things, right? But my dad paid for it. So I said, my car? Yeah, but I have to actually work and put work into it. Our unity has been paid by Christ. It has been paid by Christ, but that doesn't mean we don't have a ton of work to do for it. Because in, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. So now we have to put in the effort to upkeep to maintain the unity for which Christ died and gave us, gave, gave us freely. So now we have this work that we have to do. And by the way, sanctification, the, the, the process of us becoming more like Jesus individually, also has a collective element to it. And we collectively are also becoming more like Jesus together. So there's an individual sanctification and there's a collective sanctification. And they're both going hand in hand. So Christ paid the price, and now we have to do work. So what, what does that mean? What, what, is it, what does it actually mean to do the work? Let me give you two ideas, two specific examples of how you can do this in your life. So think about those dividing lines in your society, in your community. You're probably thinking of a couple of different things that are uh, particularly difficult for you. It could be politics, it could be race, it could be socioeconomics. I don't, I don't know what it is. It's, again, it could be those people on those side of the tracks, it could be this side of the tracks, it could be that university, whatever. Just think about those. And, and I want to give you two ideas as to how to actually, you know, you pay the price to, for, for what Jesus already paid. So here's your part. Here's the first one. Learn people's histories. Learn people's histories. Like, actually go, and whatever that other group is, whatever they are, go and pick up a couple books and just read their history. Read why, why are we where we are? What, what happened? Where did we get to this point? Go learn their history. Go, go, go read. Go, there's all kinds of resources out there, right? Learn the history. Here's the other one that's probably just as important, is listen to their stories. Learn their history and go listen to their stories. And what I mean by that is, I'm from Colombia, coffee. I hear Pastor Bruno's a coffee snob. Yeah. Take him out for a good cup of coffee and listen to the story. Not to fight, not to, not to have your own comeback as to what they're saying, 
but just to simply listen to the story of someone in that other group, whatever that is. Listen to their stories. Learn the history. And it's amazing how coffee, coffee covers over a multitude of wrongs. It's, it's just amazing. And so, so learn people's history and listen to their stories. That's, a, that's a, a practical outworking of us recognizing that Christ has already paid for our unity. Next part. It says, uh, second part of verse 15. It says that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing their hostility. So it says here that the purpose, what the purpose, like Jesus died on the cross, and the purpose, he, he called us together into this, and the purpose was to call, to make a new humanity, a new humanity. So in contrast to this divided, us, them, in, out humanity that, COVID has exposed, and that we have been living for generations, actually forever, we've always been doing this. He's saying, in contrast to that, we have one new humanity. It's a completely different humanity. Notice that this new humanity, notice it says a new humanity, and it says there's Jews and there's Gentiles, but it, it, it doesn't say, okay, well, now the Jews go to the Gentiles and we're going to make a new, no, it doesn't say the, the Gentiles go to the Jews, and our, no, it says there's the Jews and the Gentiles, and now we're going to make a brand new humanity. Something new, something that no one has ever seen before. A brand new humanity. Something that resembles the others, but it's not the others. Right? It's something new. It's something completely fresh and that has not been seen before. Right? And then it's, it's almost like, it's, you remember 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, where it says, he who is in Christ, so when someone is in Christ, they are what? A new creation. And we typically think of that like, I'm a new creation. Yes, you are. That's great. But you can also say just as with, with as much enthusiasm, we are a new creation. We are a new creation. It's a new thing that God is doing. It's a new thing that he wants to do. And then it says, reconcile us both in one body through the cross. So God broke the barriers, and then he brought those people together to reconcile them with each other, right? They were at war with each other. Now they're going to reconcile them to each other. For what purpose? So that he could then go and reconcile that group that was enemies to each other to God. So do you see how it's like there's this horizontal part, and then there's this vertical part, which matches really well. You know, it's, it's, it's this way, and it's this way which matches really well with the cross. It matches really well with the idea of love God, love people, right? And that's, I think that's what God wanted. It's, it's a reconciliation that is communal and with God. And it's both and at the same time. And then it says, with that, he killed their hostility. Because now that we have peace with God, now we have peace with each other, we're no longer hostile to each other. It's great right? Now we have some work to do with that. So I want to go back to this idea. Oh, so, so the way I would say this is Christ provides the purpose of our unity, a new humanity, a new thing, right? Now, the challenge with this new thing is that there are multiple ways of coming at it. 
there are multiple ways of coming at this new humanity. So I actually want to talk about three ways in which we can um, approach this idea of unity. But I'm going to warn you, I'm going to make you hungry. I'm going to make you hungry, and you're probably not going to like me for it, because it's almost lunchtime. Someone's thinking of that pot roast they have in the oven. Uh, anyone have a pot roast in the oven? No? Oh, Mateo, my son does. Okay, that's weird. So I'm going to make you hungry, okay? So I have three possible ways in which this idea of unity can play out, and so I'm going to just talk about it. Ready? Okay, here's the first one. It's called the melting pot. Can you see that cheese? I just, oh, I don't know if that's cheese. Whatever it is, it looks good, right? The melting pot. What is that, what is that idea? That's one idea of unity. It's basically the idea that, you know, when everyone comes together, so I'm, I'm, again, by, by the way, I am referring to the church here. I'm not talking about society at large. I want to talk about the church, how this plays out in the church, because societies are very important, but uh, this discussion that I will have at a different time, but how does unity play out in the church in a local body, okay? I'm, I'm thinking about a local body just like this one within the confines of a church. So there are three possible ways of thinking about unity. The first one is, uh, is, is the melting pot or the assimilation idea, right? What does that mean? It means whatever cultural preferences there are, whatever cultural ideas there are, they just kind of get pushed to the side and we just become this blob and we all just kind of get assimilated into this thing, thereby losing the identities of all those people who get, in, who get, who get assimilated into the whole, right? Now, that's, I'll tell you this. This approach is actually a lot easier, right? This is the easiest thing to do. Most times, when we try to go for unity, this is what we end up actually doing. Why? Because, because typically you have a majority culture and you have minority cultures, and the majority culture just simply says, hey, the easiest thing is, and then minorities simply get assimilated into that, right? But I, I want to submit to you that I don't think that's the best approach. I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind when he thought about the church. I don't think that's what he had in mind. So this second picture may not make you as hungry unless you're a health nut. It's called the toss salad, right? The toss salad, and this is what I would call segregation. I know it sounds kind of weird. How is segregation a picture of unity? Well, if you bring a bunch of diverse people and you occupy the same space, but are not together, so you're together, but not together. Does that make sense, right? Kind of like a salad. You have, you have the apples, you have all those things, but they're, they're not actually integrated one with the other. They're not together, they're just covering their own function. And um, again, this one is also easy to do because you don't have to mess with the, uh, with the challenges of actually having to um, negotiate and talk about my cultural preference and your cultural preference. It, this, is, this is a lot easier. And the church, by and large, practices these two forms, right? We typically, in a church, we're like, well, we just assimilate people. We actually use that language quite a bit. We assimilate people, or we, we don't use the language of segregation, but we'll just have people and we'll say, well, you know, we'll have the people who like this thing together and the people who like this thing together, and we just kind of go into our own separate groups. So it's, this is doable, but I don't think it's what Jesus intended. So I'm just showing my cards. I think that the best, the best model is actually this third one, and this one is going to make you really hungry, okay? Yeah. 
and it's called a beef stew. Mmm. Can you just smell it? The beef stew. You see the, the meat, uh, the vegetables, the, the, the broth, it's all coming together. And this is what I would call the integration model. Integration. So what does that mean? What, is, what does integration mean? Well, it means you bring the best of what everyone has to offer, and you come together and you dream something up that is brand new, that has never existed. Think of, in a, in a different picture, word picture, think of a tapestry, right? You have all these strands, you have all these things, and you bring them together and it, it paints a picture that was not there before, right? And a beef stew, it still preserves the, um, the individuality of each of its parts, but it comes together to flavor the whole. And I think, I think this is a better model for what Christ intends when we, talk about, when we talk about unity. I think this is a better way to preserve the unity and diversity. For example, I love what, uh, what the worship team did this morning of bringing in right, a part of Tagalog, and, and, and we all get the flavor of that. We all get to hear this beautiful melody, and you may not participate, be able to participate fully. I tried to sing the lyrics. It did not work. So the second time... I just read the beautiful prayer. What a beautiful prayer. And as I read the prayer, which was actually much more helpful to me to read the prayer, um, I, I was like choked up because I'm like, what a beautiful, beautiful prayer. What a beautiful prayer. That's, that's an example. That's a practical example of integration. We, be, we bring the beauty of our cultures and we create something completely new that was not there before. I think this is what Jesus wants for his church, for his local church. Let's, let's, let's read this, uh, verses 17 and 18. And it says, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Christ came to pr proclaim a message of unity. Think, think about that. He intentionally came to those who were far off and near. By the way, I was in between the services, I was talking to Aika, and she made a really good observation. She was like, isn't that kind of like what Jesus did with the disciples? That's what a great observation, right? Because if you, if you think about the disciples, you think of someone like Simon the Zealot, and you think of someone like Matthew the tax collector, worlds apart, and he intentionally called these people who were so different from each other, and he called them. I think, I, th I think that's his heart. I mean, you see it. He goes to those who are far off and those who are near, and he is so intentional about getting those people because he is going out to get people that are going to reflect those fault lines and then bring them into the church, and, and then it's going to, like, he is, he is going out in hospitality and bringing people in, and then now they're part of the family, and now we get to reflect for the world something that could have never been together other than by Christ making it happen. Right? It says, those who were far off and those who were near. Right? And why, by the way, why, why should we, why should I cross the line? I'll tell you a really good reason why you should cross the line. Think about that line you've been thinking about, like the people that, who are not like you, maybe don't vote like you, maybe don't like you. Um, think about that person. You know why you should go to them? Because at one point, we were Christ's enemies, and he came for us. We go to others because Christ came for us. 
And while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. We crossed the line because Jesus crossed the line for us. And that's why we crossed the lines for each other, right? And so here's what I would say. Carlitos, next slide, please. Thank you. There's, there's Carlos, there's Carlos, and then there's Carlitos, because, you know. Or Carlos number one, Carlos number two. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Christ paves the path to unity. And what is the path that he paves? What is that? It's the message of the gospel. It is the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is the one that invites people in to a family that is diverse. So that means that we have to be thinking about the others in order to invite them in. Uh, my, my wife's aunt the, the, has a beautiful picture of this. Um, she would always go to, uh, she, before she would leave for church, you know that pot roast I was talking about? She would actually have a pot roast in a crock pot, right? It was the crock pot in. She said, she put a pod roast somewhere that it would cook. <laughs> and she would actually not know who would eat at the house. So they would go to church and then just invite anybody who would come. I was like, man, what a beautiful picture, right? What a beautiful picture of being ready for guests. I think that's what the church should be. Amen. I think we should always be ready to invite people in, and we should be intentionally going out and intentionally reaching out to people who are going to show the world the diversity that the church should be, right? So how do we do that? I'm, I'm, I'm going to challenge you. You know those lines that you were thinking about? I, I'm going to invite you to cross the line, but not just with followers of Jesus. I, if you're not a follower of Jesus, or, or, or if you are a follower of Jesus, I'm going to invite you to cross the line with someone who doesn't know Jesus, who doesn't look like you or vote like you or think like you yeah. or you don't you disagree ideologically invite them to follow Jesus and then you know what that's going to force us to do it's going to force us as a church to think differently about this about because when you start having republicans and democrats worshiping together you know uh, people of all different racial backgrounds worshiping then we're going to have to think about our unity differently we have to because, because, you know, the power of the gospel can most powerfully be experienced across the deepest divides of society. That, right? And so, intentionality, right? Yeah. So here's how I would say this. The peace of Christ unites across the deepest social divides. That's, that's how I would sum all this up. The peace of Christ unites across the deepest social divides. And we should be a reflection for the world. The world should take notice. Everyone should take notice. When these people are worshiping across these divines, because they're crossing lines, they're crossing lines that people don't typically cross, the, the world should take notice. My wife and I lived in Honduras for two years. So again, I'm from Colombia, but we lived in Honduras for a couple years. And in Honduras, where we lived, in Tegucigalpa, the capital, there was a huge gang issue at the time, I think it's still going on. But there were two gangs that were kind of at war with each other, and it was the MS-13 gang and the 18 gang, right? And they were at war with each other to the point where if a gang member from, from one gang would actually cross through the territory of an opposing gang, they would kill them. And, and I know this because um, one night this one kid asked us for a, for a ride, and we knew he was a gang member. 
Um, he asked us for a ride. He's like, hey, can you guys give me a ride? We had a, a, a van. He's like, can, can you give us a ride? And we're like, sure, but where are you going? He's like, well, I have to go to this place, but I have to go through like the rival gang place. And so can you guys give me a ride? Because I'm like, I'm going to die. I'm, we're, we're, like my wife and I were there, and, like, and we're, we're like, we're going to die. Because this guy, they're going to find him, and they're going to kill him, and we're going to be like collateral damage, right? Uh, nothing happened. We, 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 we actually did take him to the other side, and everything was fine. But they were at war with each other, right? So imagine what would happen when these people would actually, like an MS-13 and an 18 gang members, would actually go to a, like, church service and worship together. You know what happens when that happens? You know what happens? People take notice. People take notice. And actually, this is a picture from a newspaper, Central American newspaper. It's called El País, the country. Um, and, and when these people from rivals, gangs, started worshiping together, they, they actually start writing articles about this. Man, isn't that a beautiful picture of what the church ought to be? that everyone would take notice because people who are normally against one another are now worshiping the Savior together because the enmity that they have with one another has been paid by Christ, and now that we're reconciled with each other, now we're reconciled with God. And I think this is a beautiful picture. By the way, this is a picture of heaven, right? Because as, as we were talking about earlier, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 says, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping together right? Republican next to Democrat, black and white, Asian and Latino, all these people together. And by the way, we, we're, we're living in a dress rehearsal for eternity. We keep praying this thing that says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let's get to it. And let's cross the line. Amen. It is time for us to be something different. And we need to do something drastically different, a new humanity that is what's called what Christ has called us to. The peace of Christ unites across the deepest social divides. Amen. Father, maybe we, may we be one as you called us to be. May, may we be something completely different. Maybe, may we start integrating people in a different way that the world will see, that everyone will see that you have called us together because apart from you, we can do nothing. In your name I pray. Amen.